is so the factory really is the product that makes Tesla so special at this point. I don't think any other company can build that type of product or that type of manufacturing capacity that Tesla has been able to do with such efficiency and modern technology and, and such. Welcome to the latest installment of Currently, the podcast that brings you the week's current events in finance, business, and technology with insight from the experts. I'm Grant Stoddard. My co-host is Ryan Pallotta. And today we're talking with Tesla expert Emmett Peppers of Good Soil Investment Management. On Wednesday of this week, Tesla reported first quarter earnings for 2022 and beat analyst expectations on the top and bottom lines. Emmett has owned Tesla since 2010. Back then, it had a market cap of $2.5 billion. It's now well over a trillion. We talked with him about how Tesla blew estimates out of the water and managed to post a greater than seven-fold increase in profit despite supply chain issues. We discussed the advent of robo-taxes and self-driving cars and how people need to stop thinking about Tesla as just a car manufacturer. And of course, we couldn't talk about Elon Musk without touching on his plans for Twitter. So let's get into what's happening out there with Emmett Peppers. Emmett, thank you so much for joining us again and really excited to talk to you about some amazing things that are happening in the news today. First off, I'd love to go through a little bit what you thought about Tesla's earnings report yesterday. Um, you know, they absolutely destroyed expectations. What were your thoughts on what you heard yesterday during their print? I was very impressed with the numbers. I mean, $3.22. I don't think anyone expected anything close to that. Uh, my partner, Matt, and I, I think he revised his latest estimates to be about two ninety seven. Uh, a couple of days ago, but that that seemed very bullish to us. I think they're executing very well. The the operating margins were over nineteen percent, almost twenty percent. It's unheard of for even a luxury car maker, um, and Tesla's doing it, you know, on a massive scale here already. Um, you know, a million cars in the last twelve months, and on target for one point five million or more this year. Elon reconfirmed. I think one of the biggest surprises to me was for those of us who follow Tesla closely, the Shanghai shutdowns and the Shanghai factory in, in, for Tesla is like the biggest producer of cars for Tesla. It's become like a huge, you know, uh, linchpin of their production. And I was shut down for the last month and it's slowly reopening right now. But investors realized that there would be a big hit to the second quarter production number the Tesla, some were speculating 250,000 or less when last quarter was 300,000, 310,000 cars. Um, but Elon uh, on the call confirmed that he's confident they can do at least as many cars produced for the second quarter as they did in the first quarter, despite the shutdown of Shanghai. So I think that uh, statement to me was a big surprise because most of us longtime you know, Tesla followers uh, didn't expect expected a big downtick in production for the second quarter. What did you think about the increase in margin on their cars there? Is it, do you think it's because they're being able to scale the amount of cars they're being able to make and how are they able to make such amazing margins? I think they announced 32.9%. Yeah, I, that was the automotive gross margins. Uh, and it's, you know, it's amazing. They have incredible operating leverage is what I, I describe it as is, you know, they built the, the the factories, which Elon calls the product, is the factory now, really. But they built these factories in such a way that 
you know, it takes a certain amount of CapEx to get it set up and get the machines and robots in place. And then there's minimal human labor per car versus other, you know, car manufacturers, let's say. And, and so you have this kind of automated, you know, machine that builds a machine and you just pump in as much raw materials as you can into one end and out the other end comes as many cars as you pumped in on the other end. So if you pump in, you know, enough raw materials to sell a hundred thousand cars in a quarter, you know, uh, maybe it's, it's profitable to, to some degree, but you still have all the CapEx to maintain the factory and the workforce. And then you just marginally increase the raw materials to be, you know, and battery supply and everything to, to produce 300,000 cars for the quarter instead of 100,000. And now, you know, you have marginal increase in costs, but you're selling three times as many cars. And, and also the cars are at a higher average price. Now they've been increasing prices to keep up with inflation. So the average selling price, they've so much demand. The wait list is like a year long for the model Y, even in the U S and, and so the demand is so high, they've been able to prioritize, you know, the, the higher margin, high performance cars to some degree, um, people are figuring out that if you order the full self-driving, you get, you know, a little bit of a shorter wait time. So people that just really want to get the car will pay up for the full self-driving software early. There's just a lot of little reasons, I think, that add up to, you know, in, not only, you know, operating leverage, but also just margin increases here and there adds to that 30, gets to that 33% gross auto margin. Yeah, these gigafactories are pretty incredible. They just launched their new one in Texas. Um, and I think it's interesting that, you know, Elon says that there's a lot of these electric car companies popping up and big car manufacturers are also announcing that they're going to go full electric, but he says that the hardest part to do is to scale these, to build these at scale and build these factories that are designed just for, uh, the electric cars. What do you think of his ability to build this, this new gigafactory? How will that contribute to what they're doing? And is it true that these other car companies are going to have a difficult time scaling the amount of cars they're able to produce to make these margins that he's doing? Absolutely. Uh, it will be difficult for anyone else to do this. I mean, um, I don't know if you recall, but there was an interview, I think it might've been the Ted talk interview or a recent interview with Elon a week or a couple weeks, a few weeks ago where he, he said, and he's, you know, Believe it or not, I think Elon is a pretty humble person in general, but he did say in his interview that he thinks that he knows more about manufacturing right now than anyone alive on earth. Okay. Him personally knows more about manufacturing and he's spent a lot of time in the factories. He knows how every part of the car is made. He spent, he slept on the, on the floors of the factories for months straight to get this, you know, the, the Fremont factory producing the model three a few years ago. So he know, and he's a smart, he's probably the smartest engineer out there that I know of. And so you just combine, he knows manufacturing. And so they had their first gigafactory in Nevada for the batteries. It was a joint with, you know, thing with Panasonic and it was, you know, a very slow ramp. It was huge building, huge undertaking. Um, then they re really revamped Fremont and, you know, they tried to make it as efficient as they could, even though it's kind of the footprint is not really ideal for logistics reasons. I was explained to by one of the Tesla employees at the cyber rodeo that I went to in Austin a couple weeks ago to look at the gigafactory in, in, in Austin. And yeah, I went to that and I have not seen, so I've seen three of the Tesla gigafactories in person. I've not seen the Shanghai one uh, in person, but I've seen lots of drone videos. I've seen walkthroughs of it. Um, and I think Elon and the Tesla team, they're getting better and better at iterating and making these factories. So the factory really is the product that makes Tesla so special at this point. I don't think any other company 
can build that type of product or that type of manufacturing capacity that Tesla has been able to do with such efficiency and modern technology and, and such. Yeah, I think one thing where I noticed that the most was in Netflix's new documentary called Return to Space that features Elon and about them getting the first manned uh, commercial spacecraft to the International Space Station. And you realize how meticulous Elon was for the past 17 years, basically building his version of what NASA could do, but much better. Uh, he, knew, he, he knew every single inch of that uh, space facility that he built, and people don't really give him enough credit for um, actually being a student of everything that he does, really. Yeah, you know, he understands so much more than any other CEO of any other company, let alone like heads of NASA. He understands more about, you know, space and, and rocketry than, than they do, too. They also talked a bit about the at the earnings report about their solar declines and them not installing as many solar panels as they had hoped. Um, how does that affect their business? And where do you see his big picture idea being with solar? Yeah, I think solar is still in play. Uh, I just don't think it's it's highly commoditized solar panels. Um, I think the real differentiating uh, thing Tesla has is number one, it's got this beautiful Tesla solar roof product that I actually have in my house. I've had it on two of my my previous house. I had it, and I have it on this house that I live in now, and it's amazing. It looks great. Um, so it, aesthetically, it's way better than any other solar. Um, uh, any other functioning solar panel you can put on your house. It just looks like the roof, but it's a really nice looking roof, like the panels. Um, so that's one thing that differentiates Tesla with the other uh, solar providers. And, and the other thing I think that differentiates Tesla is kind of the entire ecosystem they can provide with the power walls and even the electric car and the solar roof or the solar panels. Tesla does solar panels too, not just solar roofs. But if you if you have the Tesla solar roof or solar panel on your house, then um, you can seamlessly integrate it through your, you know, it'll seamlessly get integrated automatically into your app with your Tesla power walls and your, your, your car even. And you don't have to have, you know, a bunch of third parties working to connect together to connect things or whatnot. You know, there is some trouble getting your utility company off in a lot of places to, you know, recognize and connect it, you know, but that's not going to happen no matter what. But once you get past that, hurdle with utility companies. It's, it's really an incredible experience for the end consumer, but they have slowed down on that. Um, I think, um, the priority is the cars and the batteries and yeah, the solar panel. Uh, I think that will come in time. I think they're kind of trying to get the solar roof product just right. It's been a little more expensive than they thought to, uh, put on roofs with, uh, the labor costs and such and how manual it is. But I think, uh, they're working on it. And I think, uh, sooner or later, They'll get it down to be much more efficient and um, deliver a whole bunch of those to you know people who are. There's a huge backlog of orders for solar roofs. Put it that way. It's a long wait list. Emmett, would you be able to explain to me uh, as a investment novice um, why, given how massive the earnings report was yesterday, why um, the price has only gone up um, a couple of points in the past 24 hours? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think we're all investing novices to some degree. You know, the moment I think I'm an investing expert or something, that's probably when my best times are behind me. So uh, for Tesla stock price, um, I've, I've told a lot of people recently, a lot of Tesla investors, especially that, that I'm friends with and uh, that I've gotten to know and that are, are sort of down on why Tesla isn't higher, isn't going up higher. But you have to, I think people have to recognize, I've been investing in Tesla since 2010. And one thing I've learned is that the underlying business of Tesla is separate from the stock 
of Tesla. They're separate things. I mean, they're, they're correlated to some degree. And over a long time horizon, they're very highly related. But in any given short period, you know, for such a dis generational disruptive company like Tesla, that's going to become the biggest company in the world and started out as like a two billion market cap company when I was investing in it initially. Now it's still huge. A hundred, it's a it's a trillion dollar market cap. But I th I'm talking, it's going to get to ten or twenty trillion in ten years, maybe. You know, so you know, a company like this that's transforming the world and so many things. You know, the stock price is oftentimes ahead of itself for you know quarters or years on end, or sometimes it's behind where the business is for quarters or years on end. Like we saw, I think in 2013, when it went up from pre-split from like $30 to $300 pretty quickly, went up 10X, you know, it went up to like a 30 billion market cap company or 40 billion market cap company from like a 3 billion market cap company, like within, you know, a few months or less than a year. That was the first moment where, you know, Tesla was kind of artificially suppressed by, you know, a lot of short interest at the time. And a lot of people just didn't believe they could produce a Model S at the time in any kind of profitable way or would there be any demand. They proved all those people wrong and showed a profitable quarter. And then it started exploding upwards and it overshot where the business was, let's say, because it went up 10x the share price. Maybe it should have only gone up like four or five X or something, let's say you know, in retrospect, you don't know at the time, right? But it, then it stayed, the reason I say that is because it stayed between from 2014 to 2019, it stayed in like a 30 to 50 billion market cap range, even though the underlying business continued to grow very successfully. And you could argue that, oh, 2018, 19, they were on the verge of bankruptcy, but, you know, they, they were producing the Model 3. And if you believe that they could produce the Model 3, you know, and, and, and in a profitable way, they should be worth much more than the 30 or 40 billion market cap they were being given at the time in 2018, 19, even. So then, then when they produced the Model 3 uh, profitably and showed like, hey, we can do this, then the, the, the stock started, you know, racketing up again and went up like 20x from there, from like a 30 billion market cap to now like, you know, or a 40 billion market cap to like a $1 trillion market cap went up 20X over like 18 months in total. So maybe it overshot initially. A trillion dollar market cap is a huge company. It's one of the biggest companies in the world. And I'm not saying Tesla doesn't deserve that. I think they do. Um, it's in time will tell. And I think if they continue to execute well, there'll be a five or 10 trillion market cap company. But sometimes the stock gets ahead of where the underlying business is. And if the underlying business continues to succeed as strongly as Tesla does, it doesn't always mean the stock price follows in line with it. It might take a few quarters or a year or two until the stock price finally pops and goes up 100% suddenly in a quarter after you know an earnings report or something. So it might be at $1,000 a trillion market cap for quarters to come, even if Tesla still does an amazing prints for each quarterly report. That's my kind of yeah. intuition on it. That's really interesting. I, I do think to you're right to a certain extent, it was maybe they're priced in already. And then you also have so many other things weighing the market down, like these macroeconomic issues yeah. that we're seeing holding people back from putting in real money. Yeah. The macro um, market has a big factor in it too. All the growth in tech stocks have been, you know, their valuations have been dropped dramatically in the last uh, several months. And Tesla has not dropped nearly as dramatically as, uh, or at all, really. I mean, it's a thousand dollars, you know, right now, and it was up to 12 something at the high, but um, you know, most of the other growth in tech stocks are down like 70, 80, 90% in some cases. And, and Tesla's, you know, holding its own, it's becoming more attractive to even value pickers, I think, with, with the earnings and the fundamentals being boosted. I think my uh, colleague mentioned that like at the current stock price there uh, in the cur current earnings, I think it's like a 80 something PE multiple or something, which is pretty crazy, you know, considering the company's growing over 50% per year for years to come. 
One thing I thought was interesting, and maybe you could speak to a little bit more to this and give add some color, was during the TED interview that Elon recently did, he had mentioned the short interest that was uh, hurting Tesla and the subsequent tweet where he mentioned taking it private, similar to what he wants to do in Twitter. And he, has, he had said that he, was th- he wanted to take it private because of the short interest. Uh, and then he got fined by the SEC and had that legal issue. Um, and then he did say that he he's happy that he didn't take it private because it allowed it to grow so much to where it is today. Could you tell us a little bit about what was happening there with that short interest and why was it important for him at the time to take it private? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, I guess some people call it short and distort FUD, media FUD, especially, you know, so you had a lot of shorts heavily invested in seeing the stock go down. Maybe they really believed it was a scam through cognitive dissonance or what what have you. There's lots of those folks still out there, but not nearly as as many as there used to be. Um, You know, it's a lot, oftentimes it's like conspiracy theorist type people that think Tesla is a scam. It's interesting. So, um, you had a lot of people uh, putting that narrative out there that were highly incentivized because it was the most shorted stock in, in the NASDAQ for years. And so the more the stock would go down, the more profit they would earn. So, um, and then there's reporters that, you know, they make more money uh, when they get clickbait headlines. So negative stories, Tesla and fire, those two words in the same headline got a lot more clicks than any headline that had just Tesla or just fire in the headline, for example. So there's like analysis on that. So there was a lot of reasons uh, that there was all kinds of negative, negative publicity coming out on Tesla. And it was damaging the brand to a small degree by people that don't really know what Tesla is about. They, the first exposure to Tesla might have seen, seen some kind of like Tesla's a scam headline or something. And they would form opinions based on that, not really experiencing the product or even talking to an owner. And so I think Elon just was tired of it and said, you know, if we take it private, um, we'll get a lot less of this. You know, you won't have the people that are short the stock anymore able to profit off of, of taint, tarnishing the brand of Tesla. You won't, you know, th- there won't be, th- it won't be as attractive to the public who are investing in Tesla or shorting Tesla for the, you know, newspaper headlines to, you know, talk about Tesla having a fire or not on an accident, you know? So I think he just wanted to take a private to just like have a less stressful life and growing the company like he's done he's been able to do grow spacex into what it is now um and it's been private the whole time and it's been a lot less stressful so he had been observing like hey spacex i don't have all these issues to deal with but i have all these issues to deal with tesla i got to keep defending why that's wrong or that's wrong and so i think that was his reason for taking it private and he got the funding secured and then all the shorts and you know i think they're kind of in the side if you read uh Michael Lewis's Flash Boys book about high frequency trading, for example, it, it, it pretty clearly outlines how a lot of the folks at the SEC are in the pocket of a lot of hedge funds, like billion dollar hedge fund shops, because um, it's sort of like a revolving door of employment. And like people who work at the SEC for a while, they form relationships with these billion dollar hedge funds and they go work at the billion dollar hedge fund and get a, a pay raise of like double or triple maybe what they're making at the SEC, right? So there's like a, a good relationship or bond. And so some of these billion dollar hedge funds that aren't in high frequency trading, but maybe into shorting stocks, for example, might be encouraging the SEC to say, hey, investigate Elon. He's a scam. He's doing this, you know, and the SEC then is kind of pressured to really, you know, put the chokehold on Elon and and Tesla to try to like, you know, make the case against Tesla. And now Tesla had to, Elon had to agree to this kind of 
statement or disagree to this, uh, uh, you know, agreement with the SEC that, you know, he believed was false. But if he didn't agree to it, then he knew that the banks were not going to finance, give Tesla any more financing. And Tesla was still in a high, you know, a sensitive growth period where if it didn't get any more financing, then uh, they might have actually gone bankrupt. So um, he reluctantly agreed and, and he's, he's still very bitter about it. And I can see why. Yeah. Yeah, that's like it's almost criminal what they they did there, and he was just trying to save his company. That really leads into our next question, which is why do you think that Elon believes that he needs to take Twitter private to be able to make it successful, similar to what he was saying he needed to do with Tesla? And is there any way that he could make it successful by keeping it a public company uh, so that everybody can participate in the upside that he believes that it has? He's one of the greatest product innovators of all time. So I'm excited of what he could do with that product. Um, what are your thoughts on, on what he could do with it? And does he need to take it private to be able to do that? Yeah. I think people have to understand that Elon is very genuine. Like you can either think that Elon is is disingenuine and lies or dishonest. And that's a tough world to accept if you think that's the case. Or maybe you think that you're smarter than Elon. And when Elon says something about battery technology or the cars technology, you think you're smarter and you're like, no, that's not true. I think I'm smarter, you know, or you have to believe in Elon. Those are kind of the three options in my view, right? You have to take Elon for his word and, and think he's genuine. And I had, I choose a third option and I think most people do, but there are doubters or the people that think they're smarter on things than he is on things. Um, and that's okay if you think you're smarter, but I, I feel bad for the people that are just doubters and think he's lying and disingenuine. Um, but if you take him at his word, he has no economic interest in making money on, on buying Twitter. That's not his interest. Um, his interest, he doesn't want to make money on it. He wants to do what he thinks is best for humanity. Like he said it on a few interviews recently where he, his, his, the algorithm he runs on in his mind is to take the best set of actions that provides for the highest probability of a good outcome for humanity in the future right? That's how he runs. And he, he sees things far ahead. I think that farther ahead than any of us, uh, most people, uh, anyone really. And so he sees free speech as a big issue right now, especially on uh, social media platforms and Twitter being, you know, a product he uses a lot. And he sees a lot of influencers and important people using or, or capable of using. I think recently he tweeted something that there's like the top 10, you know, some of the top 10, 10 Twitter people never even tweet anymore. Um, but he, th he sees a lot of potential in Twitter already with its network effects. And I think he feels he can unlock a lot of that to make it like the future public town square for people to talk freely with each other or to the world. And he sees a lot of threats to that with the current censorship algorithms going on that aren't even transparent. No one really understands why someone's being censored versus someone else. And you have to look at the facts, Twitter, like if you did a survey of their political leanings, I'm pretty sure 90% plus of the employees at Twitter would probably be pretty far on the left side, if you know, not in the center, but pretty close to the left. You'd probably have less than 5% of the Twitter employees on the, on the right side. So just that bias alone I think is going to tend whatever the free speech algorithms are is going to kind of politically guide censorship to some degree. It's going to create a lot of upset, you know, users or people that'll just lose faith in, in Twitter and, and overall. 
And so I think he sees, you know, an outcome where he can take over Twitter and he can make some drastic changes, which require it to go private in order to do so. Maybe like he's got to get rid of the board and he's got to just make a lot of drastic changes uh, to really refine Twitter, uh, the structure of the organization, the priorities. Um, and I think the employees are, are nervous and rightly so. I mean, probably you, you, I could imagine half of overall Twitter employees getting cut overall, you know, like if, if it's very possible, he just cuts departments or lets people reorganize or choose to reorganize or, you know, it's a business. It's not, it's not meant to be, you know, uh, a, a public, uh, government job where you have a pension protected, you know, it's a, it's a private, it's a business. And, um, I think people have to be ready for this type of takeover and, and prepare to be adaptable to whatever change Elon wants to put in. Um, and so it's going to be a challenge, but if he can execute on it, and I think he, he thinks he can, um, then I think there's Twitter can certainly become public again. Uh, that's my guess in a few years as a kind of a entirely new revamped offering and service. So it's much more efficient, no bots or very little bots, no bots verification for all humans, you know, uh, getting rid of advertising, except for people that want to use it for free. But if you subscribe, you don't have to deal with any promoted at tweets or advertising, just a much better platform, free speech with algorithms that you can see open source on GitHub and make refine or adjustments. You know, there's just a lot of good, I think that can come of, of Elon taking it private and then he can just make it come public again. And I can see the valuation if he takes a public again being, you know, an order of magnitude higher than what it is now, 10 times bigger than what it is now, potentially. I mean, anything Elon does turns into a trillion dollar market cap eventually, I feel like. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, so we'll see. Yeah, when you look at it, it's, it's such a beloved product by so many people. You love it. I see you create amazing content on Twitter. You know, I, I, I use it for my biggest source of news and information, yet it's still kind of languished financially um, and hasn't been able to take advantage of yeah. that. It provides yeah. a lot of value to certain people, especially that are willing. I'd, I'm willing to pay a hundred dollars a month to never see advertisements. <laughs> I mean, I'd pay, <laughs> yeah. you know, and there's a people that will pay high amounts, never to see advertisements. For example, there's lots of value they could unlock. And if it was done right, but as a public company, it's very difficult, I think. Yeah. I had a fake account made in my name that I still can't get taken down. I would pay a hundred bucks a month to get some, <laughs> yeah, to get some customer service to be able to call them up and be like, can I just get a blue check mark yeah. and get that account taken down? Yeah. Um, where do you see this playing out? How do you see, what do you think the best roadmap is for Elon here? We're seeing some new developments where like the poison pill will be initiated if he gets to 15%. What do you think happens in the next three months to six months with this? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a greater chance than not that Elon is in control some way or another of Twitter, uh, three to six months out, you know, I put it clo close to like 60%. So it's certainly not a sure thing, but I think it's a higher likelihood than not. Um, if it doesn't happen, if it falls through for some reason, and then Elon will sell, maybe he could sell all his 10% shares and a lot of other po folks will be unhappy. I can see twist Twitter, the stock price getting cut in half, potentially, <laughs> from where it is now. Yeah. Even all the other tech and growth stocks have been hit hard uh, recently and Twitter is not really, hasn't, ex ex you know, felt that yet. But uh, yeah, so Twitter right now is, you know, in mid 40s, uh, you know, it could go up to his $53 or whatever, tender offer, what was it, $54 or something like that. And um, it can go up as high as that, if it gets accepted, obviously, or, um, yeah, it could go down to the twenties. I think if, uh, if this all falls through, but 60, 40 is where I put it. Um, 
whether it happens or not. I don't know of any other options other than Elon and uh, some other firms, partners joining him to take it private. I'm not sure they beef up the offer. Uh, if they do, I, I would hope that they, the odds go up higher than 60-40, maybe to like 80-20. But um, I'm not sure Elon's going to beef up the offer beyond the 46 billion, I think, or he said he'd take it private at. Yeah. Yeah, I do really believe you that he is genuine in all of his intentions. Like one of the things that stuck out to me was when he said he he doesn't really consume his wealth. You know, he lives in a a rumoredly rumored that he lives in a forty thousand dollar prefab house on campus, uh, or he stays at friends' places. He doesn't go and buy yachts like the Bezos of the world. So, you know, I think a lot of his stuff, a lot of his life is really around his work and what yeah. he sees as the best case for humanity. You know, he's been able to cut the cost of space travel down for the American taxpayers substantially with, you know, SpaceX used to cost us a billion dollars in astronauts to send them to space. Now I think it's in like the tens of millions. Yeah. So, you know, he's definitely doing a lot. People don't give him enough credit for that, I think. Absolutely. How do you think those businesses, those other businesses like the Solar, SpaceX and Starlink, do they have any impact on Tesla themselves and the stock price there or are they totally uncorrelated? I think investors look at Tesla just as a kind of a separate conglomerate of businesses, which includes solar, you know, but solar is such a small portion of the Tesla conglomerate at this point. Uh, maybe in the future, it'll be substantially more, but you have like insurance, you have this uh, real world AI uh, emerging with the full self-driving and the, the bot, which Elon is very the serious about. Yeah, the robo taxi. The bot that they're coming out with, which Elon in the earnings call reiterated how serious he is about that becoming bigger than full self-driving in the robo-taxi. And what so, did he say about that? Uh, he said something to the effect of like, for those that pay attention, careful attention, they'll understand how how big the bot will actually be and it'll be bigger than the full self-driving and, and robo-taxis wow. and stuff. So, you know, he's he's... he's a few steps ahead of all of us in terms of what we're envisioning Tesla to become, obviously. And and the, the the bot uh is exciting i mean that's like you, you're you're displacing the entire labor market you know not you know first you have energy storage the batteries that's displacing like you know energy the energy market to a large degree potentially which is huge a huge paradigm shift and then you have transportation paradigm shift with the full self driving and the robo taxi and the full self driving semi trucks they'll have soon um, and just cars in general, all being electric. So you're completely engaging in a paradigm shift of all transportation, all, you know, uh, even trains will not be as, as effective as self-drive, fully self-driving electric vehicles. You know, trains will be displaced. You won't even need trains or train tracks anymore. Mm -hmm. So full self-driving automated trucks will be way more efficient, um, and flexible. And then on top of that, now you have the entire labor market, human labor market being disintermediate or, or just being having a paradigm shift potentially with the bots, you know? So everything a human does laboriously, whether it's picking up trash on the side of the road, flipping hamburgers, putting, you know, tiles on roofs of of houses, maybe, you know, like mm -hmm. things dangerous that are- Dangerous jobs, jobs that, you know, kill yeah, people. Exactly. Any, first we'll start with dangerous, repetitive jobs, but within a few years, uh, the neural network, uh, real world AI training, they, they are able to employ, um, could could branch that uh, labor, you know, to all human labor for the bots to do because the bots are designed as humans to be able to do whatever humans are capable of doing, basically. Now I know why you see. <laughs> yeah, what are we going to do? Can they replace us? 
Yeah. I mean, they could, <laughs> uh, they could potentially, I mean, this is not, this is like communication more and, you know, creativity. Um, but any job that requires, you know, uh, manual physical labor, uh, I think will be replaced. Yeah. Now I know why you keep saying the Tesla is more than just a car company because <laughs> yeah. they're definitely going into literally everything. Do you, do they have plans to replace traditional trucking with fully self-automated trucking systems? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think right now there's a constraint on the batteries and they're, they're just using up as many batteries as they can to produce as many cars as they can. But as they ramp up the batteries, uh, they have the new 4680 battery cell uh, that they're putting together um, that they talked a little more in detail on on the call. Um, still being on schedule, we really ramped up, start ramping up by the end of this year. Um, so as long as they're on, on pace with that and they can really get the battery supply uh, up to speed for the, how fast they want to produce these cars, then they'll, and, and when they get the full self-driving really uh, ironed out to be super safe, I think that's when you'll see the semi-trucks. I think they, my guess is they don't really want to, put out the semi truck to, to any large degree. Maybe they'll put out some pilot semi trucks to certain customers that have already been on order for a long time. Um, like Budweiser or Walmart or whatnot, you know, maybe a few dozen or something just to make sure they're happy with it with manual drivers and such. But I, I my guess is they don't really want to ramp that up until they have the full self driving ironed out. And, and then it'll be an entirely different story to, to sell those at a much higher price potentially or on a subscription basis, or maybe Tesla will run its own fleet of trucks. Who knows? When you talk about uh, trucks replacing, uh, sorry, when you talk about trains being replaced, um, are you talking specifically about freight and, and trucks? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, most logistics can be, through the semi truck at that point, most land, I think logistics, instead of trains, you know, trains are, are more cost effective than some gas powered manually driven semi trucks right now. But when you take out the the manual labor of it, like the, the, the human driver requirement of it, and you take out the gas costs, you know, of it, and you make it fully electric, I think you'll see that the economics of the self-driving electric truck are much more beneficial or much more cost effective than even freight trains. Oh, that's super interesting. This is all building on a much bigger bull case for Tesla than we even realized. Uh, one, one last thing before we let you go, as we this morning and as we're on this call, obviously the Fed talked about a five percent, a point five percent increase in rates in May to fight inflation that seems to continue to be soaring, and they're taking it much more seriously now. What are your thoughts on that, and how do you think that's going to continue to affect the market? Is there an increase or a decrease in fears of a recession or a slowdown in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think a recession uh, is is very possible. We could already be in one, um, and we just don't know until until the you know it's two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. So, I think almost by the time we figure out we're in a recession, it'll in you know it'll be backwards looking, and we'll be coming out of it. Um, and that could be where we are right now, almost. Um, so inflation, yeah, there's been some really high inflation uh, prints in recent months. Um, I think that's like a. I think it. I think of it as a one-time inflation shock that kind of happened over uh, the past year, you know. And I think the second half of this year, I think for us to see further, like five to ten percent inflationary prints is unlikely at the, towards the end of this year, because that would mean like two years in a row, ten percent in a row, you know, per year in a row. So 
and I, I think there, it was more of an inflationary shock from the supply chain disruptions of COVID that are kind of being ironed out. And there, there's some of that still going on with the Shanghai and the China zero COVID policy shutdowns that have been happening in recent in the last month or two. Um, there's so, so some of that remaining supply chain um, disruptions. But uh, and, and then you have the, the geopolitical Russia-Ukraine issues with energy. So there's still some pressure on commodities and oil and such. So there's still some inflationary, um, I think, headwinds, but not as drastic as there was, you know, in previous years from the COVID, initial COVID lockdowns. So you're pretty much predicting that they're in May, they would add another half a point. To the yeah, race. I mean, that seems likely. Uh, they're just going to, you know, as long as, in, in, I, I think it seems likely. That's in like yeah, May 4th, I think, is the meeting. So it seems likely that they'll do, it's built into the, the, I think there's a high probability based on the futures that they're going to um, put 50 basis points on that hike on that meeting. Amazing. Emmett, it's always so incredible talking to you. It's like so nice to hear it from your perspective and the way you distill these bigger concepts down to ways that everybody can understand. So thank you so much. And I can't wait to have you on again and again. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I hope I make sense. Sometimes I, I blabber on on weird tangents, but I appreciate you guys having me on. No, I love it. You're as, and the more and more I learn about Elon, the more passionate I get about it as well. I think everyone should go watch that Netflix documentary. I think it'll give you a deeper understanding as to what he really believes in, what he's really doing in his true talent. After I watched it, I realized how actually incredible what he's built is. Uh, that I thought SpaceX was something new that he was working on. And then when I realized he's been building it longer than he's been building Tesla, 17 years yeah. now he's been building SpaceX. And some of these other billionaires are just building stuff to go to space for 30 seconds where Elon really saw an opportunity here to build something that could change the world. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I hope all the Twitter employees, the thousands of Twitter employees kind of take the time to study up on Elon a little bit instead of being super nervous about him taking over. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, animosity in, within the Twitter employee uh, atmosphere about it, but I don't think many of them have studied uh, Elon very much yet. So hopefully they can take some yeah. time to study. Yeah, I think I think I saw some I saw some tweets where people were criticizing him because he didn't have a very clear way to solve the edit button function. And it's like that's what people were worried about because he he didn't have like a perfect answer for that. Yeah. But, you know, he's uh, you know, only just started and I think it'll be exciting to see what he does. Yeah. So thank you, man. Talk soon.